get this one up, Steve. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thanks for being here. For me, it was relatively easy to arrive here because I'm just living here. And uh, not since I was born, because I come from a different uh, part of uh, um, Belgium. But just as uh, Isabel, who was organizing this event, we just landed uh, in Antwerp. And, um, but for me, it was longer ago. So I started up this um, company, I'm founder and uh, owner of Caffeination. And I started this up 13 years ago. And in those days, I mean, the word specialty coffee was non-existing and the third wave coffee was not invented yet. But I was interested to bring better coffee to people. And in those days, we didn't really know what we were doing. Well, I thought I knew what I was doing, but afterwards I think it was just like trial and error and try to, well, to, to look at these machines and these grinders and these coffees and hoping that uh, maybe one of the coffees would be um, good enough to please the people. And client by client and bit by bit, we try to improve this quality and this atmosphere around coffee. And I remember it was something like 10 years ago, I think, that um, there was a, a Dutch guy, it was called Hank from Espresso Service West, and he mailed me on, uh, on grinders and he said like, well, I can provide you a good grinder. And I thought like, well, this is one of those uh, Dutchy uh, salespeople uh, known all over the world and certainly in Belgium. So I didn't really trust him. Uh, so I didn't really respond and I was more negative than positive to my, to my, it was stupid to be like that. But anyhow, so I was a bit protective. But one day he was just sitting there and not just sitting in the bar. Uh, he was just running behind the bar and taking my spot, he said, like, I show you how to, how to do that. And I thought, like, Prick, what are you doing here? I mean, this is my bar. And uh, I already yeah, was not willing to punch him in the face because it's not my style, but I didn't like that. But quickly I saw that he was not so stupid. And the ideas he had were, like, yeah, the, the things, a lot of those things he was doing then and explaining to me, we are still doing today. Because there was a, a barista happening and a, a world championship and a, a local championships. And on those championships, the people were taught to, to temp and flush and do all those things. I come back later on that. And that just uh, opened my mind. And then I started to realize coffee was not just coffee. And I think that was, yeah, well, let's say 11, 12 years ago. And bit by bit from that day on, we started to recognize specialty coffee, which is not the average product, but something different. And today, I hope I can do it in 20 minutes. I'll uh, talk a little bit to the latest thing we, um, we brought in in our lineup. And that was this grinder we know for a couple of years, but that uh, made a big change in uh, our perception to coffee and the general feel and like, and of course, quality in the cup that we appreciate today in our bar and maybe in other bars as well. Um, and that's the grinder, the EK43 from Malkernig. You have a small uh, drawing here. Most people know the grinder, most people uh, have their ideas about it, positive or negative. What I'm going to talk about today is um, a little bit in general about this grinder, but most important how we use it as an espresso grinder. And to be clear on this, I'm talking espresso as a clean shot, just a black small coffee we are going to make with this grinder, not larger coffee shots. I'm not talking about this grinder for filter grind, not for eventually uh, espressos we use in cappuccinos. No, I'm talking just a clean cut espresso. A little bit of 
technical information on this grinder. You don't have to read all this, but in general, it's, um, it's a grinder and everybody knows that it wasn't really invented for coffee. And sometimes we think like, oh, what a coincidence. But I think maybe that's one of the reasons this grinder is popular and special, because it's a good story. Saying to people like, oh, we have a grinder and it was not made to be a coffee grinder and it's the best coffee grinder in the world. I think it's a good story. Maybe they even invented this in Hamburg as a good marketing idea. I don't know. But we all, we all bought it and uh, we all uh, go with it. So, um, but most of all, it's a, I think it's a very sturdy, big grinder and it's like a shop grinder. So in the past, uh, I saw it left and right and um, it was where you put in a 250 gram bag of coffee, well, the, the coffee, not the bag, and then you just grind it in 10, 15 seconds and that's what it did. Um, and that's what it does really good because it got like big bars, flat bars in different, um, there are different bars, but then I come back on that later. And bit by bit, some people uh, thought that maybe it could do more than just grind a, a bag of coffee or just spices. And I was in Montreal in 1999, and there on a fair, they um, started to look at it as a grinder with a lot more possibilities, who gave a more even grind and a, a better cup of coffee. And then in the year 2011, something special happened because the World Championships were in uh, Vienna. I suppose some of you were there already. Uh, or with us, like uh, the man who gave the introduction speech, we met in Budapest, which was close by. And we had a client in uh, Vienna those days, and he's still a client, it was Robert Gruber, and he opened a POC, uh, People on Caffeine, and I was very happy to work with him. And he also, and he was just opened, I think, half a year, I was there in September, and in June we had the World Championships, and he said, Rob, I want to uh, go for the Brewers' Cup uh, competition. I said, that's a good idea, Robert. And he said, like, can you give me a coffee? I said, okay. And we were working on this project, and he became national champ, which was not so difficult in Austria in those days because there were not many people competing. And he also went to the World Championship, and there we went with, uh, with me and a couple other guys and training and, and looking after it. And he finished sixth as a rookie barista, which was fantastic. But the winner was Matthew Parga, and I see him performing, and I look at the scores, and he had a bigger scores on flavors, or, and we were happy with our scores, but he had more, and I thought, well, what did he do that we didn't do? And one of the things he did was using an EK43 grinder, for filter, of course, and that was the first time we saw this grinding competition, I think, and performing on a really high level. And one year later, in 2012 in Melbourne, he made this fantastic presentation, and he used it as an espresso grinder, and to show people what possibilities this grinder had. And I don't think the grinder then was really set like it's set now, but it already was probably better than any other co grinder in competition. And that opened the eyes of a lot of people. So and I thought by myself, like, well, why not buying this grinder and test it? And um, I did it, and I failed. And then I thought, maybe it's the grinder, it was a, a vintage one, I had new burrs in it. So, I, uh, I buy a new one and uh, I tried and I failed again. And I said like, well, shitty grinder, I don't like it anymore. Uh, and we started using it as what we was developed for to, to grind big bags of coffee. And uh, now it's, it's still in Amsterdam and doing this fantastic. But um, after a while I was uh, drinking a couple of fantastic espressos from Five Elephants in Amsterdam at uh, uh, Four Fragments in, uh, in Paris, yeah. They have one, I don't think they have a good machine and good coffee, but because of the grinder, I was surprised by the mouthfeel and the coffee. 
And what I noticed was, and that's the, the main idea, is it extracts more without getting over-extracted. So I think it can get more flavors out of your bean without easily over-extracting. The reason it does, it's very difficult to tell, and there are more um, reasons for that. But uh, in general, that's my idea as well. Because I, after that experience, I bought a third EK43, and it was with uh, better burrs and a better adjustment, and then we played around with it for five months, and then we came to the conclusion it was just what we needed. And it was just the thing that we needed to have in our bar. And a lot of people were looking at me like, like, what are you going to do? You're going to throw away the thing you've been doing for 10 years? I said, yes, probably I'll do that. But I, I take the risk because I don't think it's a big risk, and I think we can do something that what we can gain is much more than what we can lose. And that was a little bit what happened. So as I said before, in the beginning when we were saying, okay, you need to clean your basket, you need to tamp, you need to pre-flush, you need to grind on the mount, all those things, people were saying to me, like, you're crazy, I'm not doing that. I had baristas, well, people for me working, and they said, like, what? Do I have to not take it again before tamping? What? Do I have to swipe every time the, the machine? What do I have this, that? So everything we introduced the last 10 years was a big effort for a lot of people. But now we think it's normal and we all do it. And introducing the EK grinder was also one of those things that was just, for a lot of people, just one step too far. They were saying like, what, do I have to weight my ground? What, do I have to do this and this? And I said, yes, I probably think so, because it's going to help you to give a better cup of coffee, and that's what we're all aiming for. And not only we just uh, introduced this grinder, but we were always also looking at um, uh, how big or what we're going to do with those 18 or 20 grams of coffee. And as you see here, we had espresso profiling in the past. It was 10 years ago, an espresso, and that was also on Wikipedia, was like a three centiliter drink. And you could drink it as a single, which was very well known in Italy and also in most of the espresso bars those days, or eventually as a double, a, a doppio. And when we went, I was in Atlanta with uh, James Hoffman. I said, like, James, he was training Gullum. And I said, like, well, they look very small. The shots said, like, two and a half. It's all we can do. But I want them even shorter because I think they taste better. And on some floors on the new Lamarzocco and Slayer machine, the Americans, they were all pulling small restricted shots. And I was surprised. But bit by bit, I think we, we've been going into that because it was helping our milk drinks. And when you were used to it, the concentrated flavors, they were pleasing because it was exploding in your mouth. And with the open water filters, there are a lot of flavors were coming there. And bit by bit, we came from um, ratio three to ratio two and a half and to ratio two and going down, down, down. And I think it's like um, before we introduced the AK, we had a ratio of 1.8, which means like if we throw in uh, like 20 grams, something like 36 grams, uh, well, uh, 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 coffee goes in uh, in the basket, 20 grams. Something in the cup is like 36 grams. And that was uh, for us a, a normal ratio to work with, and I think a lot of people all over the world. But now with the EK43, I think we have been reconsidering that and just uh, we let it go and try to look at it in a different way. So let's call this espresso shots, and how did we do it? So later I come back a little bit on the ratio. First of all, I struggled with the burrs, like many people probably struggled with the burrs. On the left side, you see old burrs. I don't mean they're like 20 years old, but the one new EK grinder I bought was with these type of burrs. And 
I think that was the main reason that we couldn't get the right coffee out of it. The moment I buy this uh, EK43 grinder last year in June, I asked the person I was buying it from, are you sure these burrs on the right-hand side are in the grinder? And they said, uh, most of those people I contacted said like, I don't know. And I said like, well, you should know because I'm paying a lot of money for this grinder and I want the right one. And they said like, how do you know that, um, I'm sorry, that these burrs are the right ones. I said, like somebody told me, because it was very difficult to get good information on the market, but I thought it was worth the risk and I needed those burrs. So we checked on them and they appeared to be that, those on the right-hand side. And it, it made a big difference in, in grinding. And um, I'm not a technical guy, but uh, you use it and you see the shots coming out slowly as it's supposed to be like an espresso and you taste them and it's all there. So I think that's already one thing, because a lot of people who struggle with this grinder, maybe it's the burrs, and maybe check on those, and maybe order the right ones. If you ask me, like, Rob, where do I have to order them? I know it's not easy, because a lot of people who sell these machines are not baristas, and they care about coffee, but it's not always easy to convince them that this is not just coffee, but this is something more like an average cup of coffee. What we also did is like a lot of people, we said like we need to get rid of the old filter baskets that are in there. And for years I think I thought like all these differences between filter baskets, I don't think it makes such a big difference. But once you have uh, a lineup with all good equipment, it would be stupid not to invest 20 or 25 euros in a basket that got the holes in the right spots, that's really straight, really nice. And we also like the richless, and that way I think it's easier to tamp them and have a correct extraction. So it's not just the grinder, it's everything around it. And what I'm trying to teach, how we did it, and how we think we came up with a great result in the cup. The tamper, of course, is very important. A VST basket is something, uh, well, it's not exactly 58.7 millimeters. And this tamper you see on the screen is made from five elephants. There are other brands. And it should be 58.68. I admit that's a bit tight because uh, I bought two and the first one was fitting uh, right. And the second one, I don't think it was perfect because we have problems with it. So if you go so wide and you have such a narrow space in between, it can be risky. And also you need to learn to tamp differently. If you go out with your tamper and you're not going out straight, forget about it. So you have to concentrate on tamping, and I think also probably put a little less weight on it so you can go more precisely. I think there's maybe a future of tamping not only like that, but maybe higher and having a heavier tamper and maybe tamping like that so to know that you're really straight and really correct in the basket. But there is some studying on that, but I think there's a future. If you want to be sure about a really good tamper for your VST basket, I think the, the Perga tamp or the Pullman big size, the 58.6 millimeter, it's a perfect one, it's flat, sharp edges, and it's wide enough not to leave any grounds on the side of the basket. Very important. Now we don't have a lot of photos, they're coming later on. Um, another thing to do, I want to help you when you're introducing the EK grinder, what we did um, with the espresso dozer on it, you see the photo later, is that we put the engine on first, then we take the beans and we throw them on the, on the burrs. It helps to have a more even grind. Another thing is the, the backlip. So there are a lot of discussions on the, the backlip that's on, on the end when, where the coffee comes out. And uh, when Matt Berger did it in Melbourne, he was really clacking to have all the coffee out. And I saw yesterday evening a lot of people really using that as well. I think you can touch it, but I wouldn't 
clacky to get all the coffee out of there because I think the last bit that comes out is not the most tasty part. I don't say it's it's fines. Maybe there are some fines in there, um, but it's um, it's definitely not worth having them in the basket. So I think it's better to uh, get your pot filter off and then clack the the back lip um, to have the last remainings um, somewhere else, but not in your cup. Then uh, what we did is uh, changing from espresso cups to wider cups. It was a trend left and right to do that. And I remember we had the big honor of having uh, the big Tim Wendelboe in, a, in the, the bar uh, one and a half year ago, I think. And he was ordering an espresso and he asked specially for a cappuccino cup to put the, uh, the double espresso in. And um, I said, yeah, we sometimes do it, but you always do it. He said like, well, it's just, it's just better. And I think it could be better if the espresso you make is better. But uh, for sure, it's, um, it's a different experience. Not because you can just uh, go around with the coffee, but I think if your shot is large enough, I think you have a totally different drink. I think what we notice now is like the experience and, and the feel and the mood and, 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 and what's all, all there with, with the shots we make now is different. And I think when you have a different grinding and different settings and different flavors, it's also nice to have a different cup. That way it's it finishing off the, the presentation and it also allows you to, to give people not only a different experience, but also financially to ask a bit more. Because if you have just those small espressos, um, I think it's, it's not it's, it's proper drink, but it's, it's different. It's different than a big cup where you have a double uh, espresso and that you can present it as, as something more expensive. And uh, I think it's also smart to make it more expensive so people realize that it's not just the average cup of coffee. So we, from two euros in the past, we were cheap, but I thought it had to be cheap. It was still an espresso and they need to, to toss the two euro coin on the counter, let's say. So we moved to two and a half euro and that was a, was a good move, I think. Um, the ratio, as I said, is a bit higher now again with the EK. Um, so what we have now is mostly a ratio between 2.2 and 2.5. So we still go, first we went with 18 grams, now we, we lodge into baskets, I come back later on that, and we throw in 20 and we get out uh, between, yeah, probably depending four, four and a half centiliter for a double shot, which was before like 3.4, 3.5 for a, a double restricted, uh, uh, double espresso or a, a double ristretto. Now we enlo uh, enlarged it, but it's um, mostly I what I, I saw is like that, um, with this, this larger volume and this open cup, it became a proper drink. And because of the quality and the better cooling down, we noticed that just the people were drinking all of it and ordered maybe a second one. And that, me personally, double ristretto, I never finished it. I thought the last bit was not nice, certainly not when I was there for half a minute. And that changed now also thanks to the ratio, I think. Uh, we had some extras on it. I think the dozer on top helps a lot to get quicker, to get uh, faster. Uh, and to um, to be more accurate eventually. Uh, don't believe the people who say this dozer is very accurate and only changing one from the other uh, go with only quarter a gram. I think it's more than that, so you still need a scale. We have the O-House uh, Navigator scale, which is, I think, value-wise a very good scale. And combined with all the, the basket and the temper and the open cup and all these things, I think it's, it's helping a lot to just um, making things happening in, uh, in the lineup. So I have some photos, uh, real photos, so it's not always cleaned up, but that's how it is when you work in an espresso bar. On the top hand side, you see the EK grinder with a special dial. It's unfortunate Colin is not in yet. Oh, he's there. Yeah, it's, it's, you, you're all, all like black and dark, but uh, 
So I ordered the dial with you. I think it was a good idea to have a dial that you can really dial in perfect on the, on the grinder. The, the red clip on top is a way to have the coffee in the basket and not everything uh, beside of the basket. The funnel on the bottom is also another way to go. Some people like the, other, the, the top one, the other like uh, the funnel one. There are two ways to go. Um, in the mornings, and that's most important, I think, and I think it changed uh, our company completely. On the right top-hand side, we have uh, the Dutch word espresso uh, receptin. It's like recipes. So when we introduced this, we said like, okay, from now on, the first barista comes at the same hour, but the second comes earlier. And the first barista every morning is going to work 15 minutes just with this grinder to adjust the grinder and make sure that the shots coming out is a killer shot. And what we also did is like not having one baristas coming seven days in a row and the other five, six baristas not, not introducing to them. No, we changed even the, the, the setup and, and the people, uh, their, their schedules. And we had every, almost every day somebody else coming in. So everybody of the whole team was really um, there to help uh, realize this. And not having like mostly one or two baristas who are ruling everything and adjusting the grinders and the others are just trying to copy them, but they don't really know how to adjust the grinder, how to, to dial in a grinder. So we asked like, take a paper, it's a date, it's the coffee, how many grams go in, how many go out, how many uh, seconds it goes, eventually what's the brewing ratio, and then uh, what's your name and what are the flavors you think you get out of the cup. If they done that uh, in 15 minute time, they should have a recipe and stick to it the rest of the day. If the coffee is not running at the same uh, extraction uh, rate or time, then what you do is adjust the grinder. So have a small a stepless grinder, which is the EKS, and adjust a little bit. Mostly it should go a little bit finer in halfway the afternoon. The day after, somebody is taking the recipe from the day before, tries it, and then not saying like, oh, this is fine, I'm, I'm just stop. No, you take 15 minutes and those 15 minutes you work with the grinder. You give a bit more coffee, a bit less, maybe a bit more water. If you think like in those 15 minutes the first recipe was the best, then you can go back on it. But you're not just saying very easily, it's okay. We did it too often. No, we should go and search for this gotcha. And very often they come to me and they say like, oh yeah, you were right because I did this and this, and it was better. I said, look, well, if I didn't tell you to work 15 minutes on it, on it, you would probably not have done it. And they say, yes, I did. And I think so we have to invest in this 15 minutes to just have a, a better understanding about what it's all about. And now the baristas, with one another, they say every, when they come in, oh, what's the recipe? How did you do it? What did you taste? Well, I tried this yesterday, but now I do that. So in the past, they were never saying this. Now they're talking recipes and, 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 and grinding and, and how, what ratio does to, to a coffee and stuff like that. So the perception within the company is totally different. So not only maybe, and for sure, the EK is giving better coffee, but it's the whole uh, atmosphere within the team that changed and that made us a more professional organization. And if the morning they bring in a new coffee, because we not want to change a coffee halfway the day, we always work with a single on there, a single origin coffee, and then they have to come half an hour earlier and don't have to work 15 minutes on the recipe, but 30 minutes. And everybody now really is fighting for that spot in the morning to make that recipe, and they're all doing well. The first month, two months, it was, and they needed a bit of help from the guys who were better at it, but now 
it rolls out, and we're very, very happy to do that. And the recipes, um, we know, we, we got them on paper, I collect all of them, and if you look at them from one coffee to the other, it's always a different recipe because every coffee needs to be treated in a different way. And that's what they also learned. So to wrap up um, uh, very quickly, uh, so we have a very robust, reliable grinder that's good looking and that's giving us a higher extraction. So the whole idea is having more flavors and less easily over-extracted cup. I think when um, I met guys from, um, I don't know which company it was, and they said like, oh yeah, we make uh, now five, five, seven, five and a half centiliter double shots for 40 seconds. And I said like, what? Uh, before we had this grinder. Now we sometimes try to do that. And I don't say it's the best shot, uh, always, but it's it's not over extracted. I don't know before with a lot of grinders if we went over 30, 32 seconds we had problems. Now we sometimes can stretch it and that way have different flavors that are from time to time very interesting. So we have a more detailed flavor uh, and more cleaner cup and on the 15% more uh, extraction. So you can say like Rob, if you have like with a regular grinder, let's say 19% extraction rate, and now with the EK you have 23, it's only 4%, I look at it differently. If we can have 4% on top of 19, we go up probably like 20%. In the past, we've been really fighting to find a percentage here and a half percentage there and fighting for another percentage there, and it took years. Now we have a grinder that can give us 20% more flavors almost in a second. Of course, we have to work for it, but it's possible. And that's what I notice now, that in the past, when I was tasting espressos in our bar, some days I said like, oh, you nailed it, it's good. And then I came a couple of hours later or a day later and I tested and I think like, it stinks, it's not good. And the problem I often encountered was that we had like a, a lot of metallic flavors in there. And I think it was like, it was not just sour, but it tasted a bit metallic. And I think it was because we were concentrating the shots very often too much. So we were really getting the ratio down. And I understand why we did it, because we were using this grinder to make milk drinks, bases, and also make espresso coffees. And I think that's one of the main reasons um, the EK grinder is a success, because what we did, we just didn't use that grinder for two things that were very difficult to combine with one grinder. Actually, we were like in, like acting like that and, and, and using the grinder for two things that are different. So now we have this grinder that we use just to produce shots for milk drinks. And that's more concentrated shots because I think it goes better in the milk and it gives a bit of a flavor. And maybe those shots, some shots sometimes are still a little bit metallic, but that works not too bad with whole full milk. But on the UK, we do it differently and I not, never encountered a problem. I don't say every coffee is as good as I think, but I think if we keep the, the brew ratio high and we follow all procedures, the machine is clean and the recipe is good, I think it's uh, now, if I taste 10 espressos in my own, ha own house, I think eight or nine of them are really pleasing me. And before it was maybe three or four. So it's, um, I'm a happy guy at drinking better coffees. <laughs> um, the cooling down of the coffee, that's the most surprising thing of it. I think uh, when filter cools down, we mostly are happy and we think the coffee tastes better. When espresso cools down, very often we have a disappointed feeling that we think like, what happened with this coffee? And that's what we said, like, you. You need to drink an espresso in half a minute max. I think a double shot now, you can, after one minute you drink it, you're happy. It's a different cup, but it cools down really well. Now I'm drinking, they are larger, but I'm drinking them. 
to the bottom and I'm ordering a second one. And I see a lot of people doing that before they didn't do that. Or they were drinking an espresso just to energize, like up and away, and maybe a second one, and they were fully energetic. Now they, they, they're, they're taking the cup and they're tasting it. And also, we are not so quickly saying, this is your espresso. No, we're saying, okay, like yesterday, this is your Rwanda Gisenyi Kupak, because we're treating it like a specialty. And with the baristas um, tuning in the grinder and having this... Um, proudness about their recipe they also want to represent the coffee with the client and they explain what it is then um, on, on money wise I think it's more it's a very expensive grinder so I, I proposed this to a lot of my clients and they said like well Rob it's it's a big investment I said that's the word it's an investment I don't think it's a cost it's an investment so we introduced them the first of November we totally changed our menu we totally changed our way of thinking about it, and I think it was the biggest change we did in maybe six, seven years. The first two months, I took, uh, I saw the sales, and then I did it again, Jan, Feb, and we had 30% more espresso sales, and because of the improved price, we had 50% more uh, profit. But now, if you speak with my people and with myself, I think it even improved, and I was just kicking in. And we can't believe how many double espressos they're ordering these days. On a Saturday morning sometimes, it's like one after the other and it doesn't stop. It's unbelievable how many double espressos we are selling. And I think if we go to the 1st of November this year, I think we're going to double in sales and probably triple in profit. And that grinder, I'm saying, okay, you can get your investment back in 12 months. If you have a good bar, I think I had my investment back in six months and after six months, I'm doing this profit. So I think it's not a cost, it's an investment. And I'm not a sales representative for Mark Koenig, don't get me wrong. But I think it's a, it was a very wise thing for me to do. And um, our main focus in caffeine, at Caffeination is giving the people a good time and changing the coffee world a little, little bit. But also, of course, having enough profit to keep on doing that. Um, the last thing I want to say is like, um, I'm not talking using this for milk drinks. I don't say it's not good, but I didn't do not, uh, enough of research. Maybe can, Colin can help us on that. I think it should be a very good grinder for a lot of other things, but that's maybe for the next stage. I also think it's a bit slow to make so many shots a day, but um, th there are possibilities. But the main gain, I think, when you use this just for clean shots and only espresso, that the other grinder, you can f tune in, especially for your milk drinks, and that way your cappuccino and flat white is going to taste probably better. So I'm hoping I just motivated you, but first place uh, gave you a good uh, look at how we look at uh, the espresso uh, drink. And we, we, we think espresso is the most important drink because we are an espresso bar. And what we do at Caffeination, we give service to the people, we don't let them queue, and that's a very important uh, thing as well. If you have to queue 10 minutes for an espresso, probably you don't want to do that. I think an espresso always in Italy and in a lot of other places was a thing. You came up to the counter, you ordered an espresso, you drink the espresso, you have a small talk, and you go or you do something else, or maybe you order a second one. And I think that's what's happening now. It's that we, we don't let the people queue, but they can co always come at the bar or they sit down, they order an espresso, and we give it to them. And we, we think that that's the future of, of coffee. It's... Uh, Gwilym always said, like, the future of coffee is black, and I took over that uh, slogan, and I still think that's very important. 
And in Antwerp bar and in the Amsterdam bar, I think 25% of our drinks are black drinks. And that's amazing. I think most espresso bars in Belgium and Netherlands, I don't think they get 10% black coffees. And I think it's, uh, the margin is better, the taste is better, and if people like it, they have to come back to you because competition is weak on black coffee. So I think it's, um, there's an opportunity here to encourage people drinking espresso, maybe I could say again, and seeing it as the most important products in your shop, uh, not with discouraging people to drink espresso, uh, flat whites or lattes or whatever, but just as, a, as an extra thing that's really helping us going forward. I think that's about it. Thank you for listening. Fantastic presentation uh, there, Robert. I'm sure if you take that one, you can have that one, Colin. Morning, everybody. Yes. Welcome. Thanks for coming eventually, Thanks. Colin. Much appreciated. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm sure there's going to be lots and lots of questions about the grinder and about the changes you've done. And I don't really want to kind of steal questions from the audience. So I'm going to kind of go a little different. Okay. And the Belgium coffee market is maybe not so developed. I think it's changed a lot in the last few years, but there's not many kind of big players. Why, why do you think that is? Because there's definitely a food and drink culture here and there's definitely that beer and bar culture. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's what we did in Belgium, there were a lot of black coffee drinkers. So if I talk about black coffee, there was existing because this was a country of, of the Lungo. So people were used to go to a, a bar or a restaurant and they have a machine and they were drinking a 15 centiliter long coffee. Mm -hmm. The machine was never developed, uh, invented for that, the grinder either. And I think the, the, flav the flavors in general were bad. I never liked those coffees and I hated serving them and I stopped a certain moment doing that. But um, that's what, what, what's still in there, and I think it's very difficult to encourage people to say like, okay, uh, get the Lungo off, because when they open a shop and the first two people come in, they say, two coffee for me, and they expect a Lungo. That's one thing, but on the other side, I think the coffee scene is not developed. It developed, but it's not widespread, because when we're talking about taxes and how much staff is cost, costs in Paris, believe me, in Belgium it's more expensive. It's unbelievable how much we have to pay for a barista. And if you want to make a proper coffee, and the way I explain it with the grinder and stuff, it's a lot of work, which means it's a lot of costs. And that's the main problem. It's very, very hard to get an espresso bar profitable. I think my uh, first uh, encounter with the Lungo was in Amsterdam. Yes. At a trade show there. Mm. And uh, it took me a while to get my head around what these people were asking for. But do you find that... Like those shots that you talked about that, that James Hoffman uh, was pulling, the short shots, yeah. when James Hoffman got it really wrong. Um, they, uh, <laughs> uh, now you're pulling the longer shots with the EJ 23. Is that something that's easier to get people on board with now? Because Yes. I think we made it ourselves a bit complicated. I remember I was then the same uh, uh, SEAA uh, except in, uh, in Atlanta. And the famous uh, Chris Baca, he was pulling shots on a new Lamarzocca machine, and they were like that. Face melter, isn't that what they used to call it? Yeah. And I thought, like, what is he doing? And then the other uh, friends of him, they were like, yeah, it's interesting, it's interesting. And I think, and I have a taste, and I thought, like, what are these people talking about? It's awful. And then when Stumptown came to Amsterdam, they also introduced this super restricted, dark, strong flavors. And after a while, we thought, like, well, probably it should be like that. If I look at it back now, I think I can understand why they do it because they were throwing a lot of milk in there. 
But if you want it look great. And, look and it looks good also in the latte art, but I think when you drink clean shots, I think it's not so smart to restrict it so hard. I, I think also is like it's seven years ago. It makes me feel really old that Atlanta was seven years ago. <laughs> but I think coffee has improved to a stage now where that dilution of the coffee actually can Im the flavors are there that weren't necessarily there. If we think about coffees that were being presented at WBC kind of seven, eight years ago, nine years mm -hmm. ago, were not of the quality and the uh, kind of you know, tastiness that they are now. Mm -hmm. um, so we're able to dilute these coffees a little bit more because there's better processing, better knowledge of varietals, better picking, uh, and better roasting, which all... You know Everything improved. Water, the techniques, the, the cleanliness of the machines. Uh, and it's, it's what we talked about yesterday. I think the introduction of the EK was not just only good for this grinder, but it also shook, uh, shook up and it awaked a lot of people who were starting to understand that they had to do something and get away from those old grinders, clack, 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 and introduce something new and probably better. I mean, we, we used to sit on coffee forums in 2003 saying, coffee grinders need to get better. Coffee grinders are a problem. That, and nobody that was the did biggest anything. problem. It's true. And nobody did anything until the EK came along and kind of started to make people go, mm. maybe we should fix this grinder issue. So. I think that, that was the most to win those years was we knew all knew was in the grinding and finally it's happening. So what do you want to see next in grinders? <laughs> I saw a grinder that was having a conical and a flat burr grinder one after the other. I thought that was wicked. Maybe That's, it's a, that's a David Schomer invention. I that's that hybrid least, grinder. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw it and I saw Hank, the man who was uh, walking behind my counter. We're still friends and he had a photo of it. I said, Hank, I want it. He said, like, it's too early, it's too early. But we'll see, maybe that's going to do it. I don't know what's going to be next. It's like when we had the third wave, we all said, like, what's going to be the fourth wave? But we never had a fourth wave. And if we will have one, it's, we'll have a different name, so I don't know. Well, and maybe it's good, we don't know. It's a surprise. <laughs> Bleeding edge or cutting, it, cutting edge, isn't it? It's, uh, um, some questions from the audience, we'd like to kind of throw it out there. So has anybody got a question that they'd uh, like to throw at Rob? Oh, right at the back, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I'm coming. It may take me a little while. Um, yes. With the EK, do you ever find like recalibration issues throughout the day? Uh, yes, there's one guy who's um, uh, th throwing off the top um, every other week or something and looks at it to, to see if, if everything is all right, to clean it up and to be sure that the burrs are there. And um, I, now, I now think it's, um, it's, it's a five-minute job he does. And um, I think without him, we would be lost. So it's time to, to train us all to, to calibrate the grinder because one of the reasons probably in the past with the first experience with the EK it was going wrong. It was because the, the set, the burrs were maybe not right and I think the calibration was not good. And I think maybe Mark Koenig should, should train uh, the people a bit better on that and tell them how to do that. Does anybody, is anyone familiar with the paper calibration method? That's yeah. what I was, yeah. yeah I mean so we had Pete and trying to show us tiny, tiny pieces of paper over and over again trying to calibrate it. Okay, yeah. Which is why I was asking, seeing if yeah, and that's if anyone has found an easier way of doing if it. If anyone wants it, just, I don't know, it's available online, I'm sure. But, so it's a very complicated way of getting paper and using that as a, a gauge to where you sit the burrs. But then I spoke to somebody at Malkunik, who I won't name in case it gets them in trouble, and they went, yeah, that's nonsense. It's absolutely <laughs> useless. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, the, the problem with it is, is that there's a lot of, there is a lot of fines 
created in, in EK43? Probably. Um, so there's less of the middle ones, so it's very unimodal, then lots of fines and nothing in between. So people think there's, there aren't many fines, but there's actually more fines created by it. And they kind of gather in that inside part, and that creates inconsistent dosing. And mm. like we're trying to source a, an air blower that kind of just to clear it all out. And I think that might be confusing people about the resetting of the burrs. But what I would like to see is, yes. it's undoubtedly a great grinder, but I would like to see Malkunik step up to the plate and say, okay, this is how you should do it, because there's a lot of questions being asked and they're staying quiet on it. Yeah, but I, I think they also want to get the, the troubles out of the way and, and launching now this big grinder. But then they say to me, like, oh, it's the same burst, it's the same engine, everything. But it's not. I mean, we go from 98 to 89 flat burst, which is already, I think, a big difference. And I think the whole system is different, and I'm not so sure about that's the way to go. So what it's I would like to see is, is, is the, the strengths of this one, but then in a more, um, uh, uh, more fr uh, friendly user way. Colin, can we have the sound effect of the air blower again as well? Um, maybe a really good idea for the air blower is actually those little keyboard things, you know, that you can get like a can yes, of air. Yes, yeah. I remember that. those things. That's what we were looking it's for, and everybody looked at me like I had 50 heads. And no, I no, like no, they didn't it's exist. great. It's I'm glad you're here to, to yeah. actually... I'm, I'm on the same page. Um, the question that I had, yes. I have, it's kind of a two-part question. Um, you said that you can get like 15% higher extraction. Does that mean that you are getting... So if you're sitting at 19, does that mean you're getting up in the 30s in regards to extraction of espresso? Because that's... I've never no, no, I think when you add like 4% on top of 19, so you, you, you get like uh, probably a quarter more flavors out of your coffee. Yeah. But it's not only having more flavors, I think it's also having uh, better flavors. But I think it on doesn't only have to do with the grinder on itself, but also the other practices you combine with it, like the temper and the, and the baskets and stuff. I think the, the grinder is shook us awake to improve all things. In regards to that, um, I mean, because you started playing around with your ratios and mm -hmm. also you were finding more and different flavors in the espressos that you were making, does that mean that the coffee that you were roasting, did that change? Did you have to reevaluate that as well? I think maybe we, we should have done that, but we don't didn't really change anything on that. Um, that doesn't mean that it's all perfect, but I have to admit, maybe that that's a thing we can still work on. Yeah. Oh, but the, qu the question like is, of course, like if, if if it makes it a bit more transparent, I find that uh, that makes it kind of made me realize that we were potentially roasting the coffees a little bit too much. Um, yeah, but the, the thing is, like, what you're going to do, you're going to have a special roast for the EK and then a different roast for other grinders. That's going to be hard, I think. No, not at all. I mean, I just think it's interesting to play with, especially because yes. you guys have done quite a lot of, like, research into making it work behind the bar. Yeah. I think, like, the coffee that you put into it is is kind of equally I as important. So. I think that should be a good next step. So what we, in our ambition, is we're going to move the roastery and attach a, an espresso bar to it, and that's going to probably help us to get the, these two things closer to one another. I'd imagine that happens quite passively. That like, like if I ask Steve, d does Steve adjust his roasting to suit new grinders? He'd say no. At all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad he didn't curse. The uh, but he does adjust his grinding uh, or his roasting depending on, on his feedback on what he's tasting in the coffee. So it happens quite passively anyway. But I do think it's uh, it'd be interesting to take today's coffee and put it into old grinders and see what that tasted. Because I imagine that would be quite awful, maybe. You were saying about how um, you're extracting more from the coffee and you played around a lot with the ratios and the length of your shots. And mm -hmm. how have you, like obviously from your sales, your customers have responded really positively to that. But has there been anything else that you've done 
to help to facilitate that? Because I think that maybe if you already have a culture in Belgium of drinking like a, you know, a longo, mm -hmm. um, in the UK where I don't think that's as expected, then do you have any advice for how we might be able to help manage that change in expectation? Mm. What, what we did, like, when people were when we were introducing this and people were asking like for a single shot we were giving to them and when they said like yeah i don't want a shot from the grinder but from the other uh, the cape from the other grinder we were giving to them so we were not like pretending that there was only one drink way to drink coffee and uh, so in the beginning there were a lot of people still drinking the the other type of espressos uh, but one way or another they were following our path and now i think they they all almost all moved over to what we think that's the best and uh, it just takes some time to get used to it I think but uh, it went very easily and I was surprised myself to convince so many people because for 10 years we said we work with naked porta filters, restricted shots, we go this and this and this way and at once I go another way so they're already used to something uh, because I mean they're used to me to change my ideas from time to time but that radical they were surprised and I thought like, well, uh, I have nothing to lose, I go for it. And afterwards I, I was proved right because now uh, people are really talking about the espresso and like where does it come from and what do we taste and before they weren't doing that. So the whole experience in the bar dramatically changed and that is fantastic. Um, I think fantastic presentation there, Rob. Thank you very much. Big round of applause for Rob there. <laughs>